Hello and welcome to Diverse and Inclusive Leaders, the show where I interview the most inspirational and thought-provoking leaders of today and unearth their unique stories of diversity and inclusion to help inspire, educate and motivate others to make the world a better place. Today I am joined by Kevin Dunkley. Now, Kevin has a wealth of experience within the marketing industry from a creative, technological and digital perspective. He is the Chief Sustainability and Innovation Officer for HH Global, who are one of the fastest growing marketing execution businesses in the world. Operations in over 44 countries and blue chip client base that includes the likes of Google, Unilever, PepsiCo, HSBC and Bayer. Kevin is the Executive Board Director responsible for sustainability and innovation. In addition to that, he's hugely passionate about diversity, inclusion and belonging and has actually developed the innovation with Purpose program that is built around the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Thank you for having me, Lila. Great introduction. <laughs> well, it's all you, really. So, Kevin, tell me about the experience and how you came to be where, where you are today, plus some of, the, some of the great things that you've been up to, because I see plenty of updates on LinkedIn and, and lots of kind of exciting, innovative pieces that you're getting involved in or speaking out about. And it'd be great for our listeners to learn a little bit more about them and you, of course. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, I came out of creative and tech, so it's funny the journey I've come on. It's uh, looking back on it, but uh, so it's a techie at heart with a creative and marketing sort of uh, leaning. The business I'm working at now, HH Global, been here nearly 13 years, and we've got a very eclectic client base all over the world, different sectors. And so I started off on the kind of technology function and then got more into uh, into sort of sustainability and from an environmental perspective, certainly around 2012, 2013. So that was when it really piqued my interest with a couple of client experiences. And then from that, uh, we're talking with the CEO, CEO globally, he said, why don't you focus more on the clear strengths we've got on innovation and sustainability and the combination of those things. So new thinking, um, not just around product, but around the ways we do what we do, who we participate with, start thinking about partner networks and ecosystems. So we've kind of developed that over the last six or seven years where as an added value proposition to the clients, and I head this and I sit on the board, so we're very serious about this. Um, we take to our current clients new thinking, new ideas, either in response to challenges they're having or to be proactive and say, here's a trend we're seeing in the market in your particular sector. You know, do you want to, do you want to talk to us more about this? Should we try and do something together and, and go on a journey? So that could cover anything from new technology impacting retail to a business model that a startup has come up with, with a, a community involvement to a material made from agricultural waste waste in, a, in, in the Netherlands. It's very diverse, it's very broad, as the topic innovation and sustainability is. Um, and we've developed the programme, as you said, you know, five years ago, and it's just been beginning, growing and growing and uh, got bigger ever since. So I'm very privileged to sit on the board running this programme, developing the programme, working with colleagues across the world and partners and communities, startups, NGOs. Uh, it's the best job, best job in the world. 
Fantastic. And I can tell how passionate you are about it because I know we've had multiple conversations now where we can go off on tangents talking about all good things, business for purpose and business for good, which, you know, I do think certainly from, from what I'm seeing, and I know you've mentioned it as well, is that there is absolutely, um, I want to say growing trend, but really it's been around for a, for, for a very long time now and obviously organizations wanting to do good, but it seems absolutely prolific more now than it ever has been. What are your thoughts? Absolutely right. Um, I would. I was just talking to on a previous meeting with a colleague about this. Um, I would say 2012, 2013, 2014, we would actively seek out clients to have a conversation with. Fast forward to now, particularly 2019 and it's accelerated now as well. Clients all have either a position, a program, a project, a strategy, uh, irrespective of sector, irrespective of what they produce or what services they provide. Um, around you know diversity inclusion sustainability the planet uh, people are doing it in different ways but to every client we work with uh, has some sort of a program going so you can, there's been a sea change you're right in the last you know four or five years and the word trend i know you didn't like it and i agree with you i don't like mm. it it's not a trend it's it's center to business it's center to life it's not just business it's life and i think that's so important to to put it in the middle of whatever you do as an individual and whatever you do as a as an organization or business and talk to me a little bit more about the the un sustainable development goals because like yourself i'm an absolute advocate of the work that the SDGs do and as as you know we've done quite a lot of work with uh, with, with Steve and the, the the UN team which in fact I think is how we actually met but talk to me a little bit for, for our listeners perhaps who aren't as familiar with the goals and how you utilize those to actually develop this you know the, the, this program and, um, you know significant kind of sea change with the uh, you know the multifaceted client base I guess that you work with yeah, that's that was um, that was probably the the best step looking back on it we've taken. So it had been about five years ago when we were first sort of made aware of the goals, um, probably just after they were agreed, um, and we had lots of really nice case studies and projects going on, but they were disparate. They were they weren't in a framework. We hadn't developed the innovation with purpose program at that point, and so with with some smarter people than I that I work with and some external advice. We, we thought well, we need to create the program to bring all of this good stuff into some sort of a framework and we couldn't find anything better than the UN SDGs. It just felt like the way we described it at the time was almost a project plan for the planet. And the more you looked at it, it's beautifully created. Each one of the goals has a ton of detail behind it, but it's very easy to access and to understand for a layman. And the idea behind the goals was to kind of give you some sort of structure for whatever business you're in or whatever uh, community you're in or even as an individual to kind of have some sort of focus so you could adopt all of them or you could adopt ones that feel relevant to your business or the services you provide we chose the latter we picked three of them in particular to sort of center our program around that felt relevant to our industry and what we do and then almost uh, the one that i think is a catch-all is 17 which is the, the partnership for the goals because collaboration is key to doing anything and no, nothing more so than the, this conversation. So we found it a useful framework to then build our program around. And then we've spent the last four years, five years telling colleagues about this. Um, you know, there, there isn't anything better than the UN SDGs. We've not seen anything better. The more we talked to clients, the more we found alignment. Uh, I remember going to Unilever in Rotterdam and the whole of their reception area, there were massive floor to ceiling graphics of the goals. And it was like, this is the right thing to be doing. We are doing the right thing. We're heading the right direction. 
and since then we've embedded it into things like codes of conduct for our supply chain into our reporting all reporting is centered on the goals uh, everything we do it's become central to what we're doing as a business now um, mm -hmm. which i think was the intention um, when these were set up so they're hugely useful no matter whether you're a small business or a massive conglomerate that's very useful and i'd encourage everybody to to think and consider aligning in some way Mm -hmm. Totally concur. Totally concur. Uh, I mean, you know that we've, uh, you know, spent a lot of time developing the, uh, you know, Mackenzie Dallas Packer review of which the UN of uh, UN Sustainable Development Goals have been part of, and literally fitted in there the goals that are very specific to to DNI. And um, and when you describe there, kind of the the, the partnership piece, it's a, it's an interesting point to to kind of note because I think you know when we talk about kind of trends and in inverted commas, there has been over the years and certainly the way that you seem to do business is very much around that long-term strategic sustainable partnership where it is almost this working as an extension of clients which is very much how, how, how we see ourselves as well and I think you know given these transformational times that I know you've uh, you've mentioned already you know I do foresee this being the way that that the good business practice will continue and of course um, you know can go even deeper into those supply chains by looking at all the various different facets that can then improve those organizations be it Unilever or whomever's own internal key performance objectives. Yeah, and I think the thing that we've tried to do, and this is a personal passion, and I think it's shared by a lot of my colleagues, is I mentioned at the beginning, I, I did work for a startup many moons ago. So I understand that dynamic and it's tough and you've got limited funding and you're a little guy or a little girl and you don't know if you're going to be trading in six months. So that's a scary place to be. And I was there once um, and I had a mortgage and children. So that's a really scary place to be. Fast forward to now we've developed a kind of partner network, an ecosystem, probably 20 to 25 startups from across the world doing different things. They're not all doing cutting edge technology and all just come out of college. These are different sort of mature startup partners. And there's something really rewarding if you can help a smaller business have a platform with some of these massive brands. Clearly there's a benefit for everyone if that works. So the smaller company could get a chance to showcase their products or services into a bigger platform. They can use that obviously commercially and that clients, the big organizations, they have a real appetite for this because this is hard to do. So we almost kind of bridge that gap and say, look, we think like this. We want to give the smaller companies a platform and a chance. We're relevant. It's not random. It's got to be a relevant service or product for a client need. So we're trying to listen with one ear to what the clients are saying to us is a challenge to them and trying to match that with what we're seeing in the market and what we've got in our ecosystem. And when you put them together and it works, it's beautiful because the small company wins, HS Global's done a good thing and the client has a solution to a problem. So that's what we're striving to do. It's easy to say and it's hard to do. It takes effort, but there's, it's really rewarding when it comes off. So that's what me and my team spend a lot of time doing, developing, nurturing, and even advising, we get advised sometimes to advise on some of the smaller businesses on best practice because we have exposure to some of these brands and we're absolutely happy to do that as well. Mm -hmm. It is a beautiful ecosystem. You make it sound very, very simple, but I know the complexities involved in all of that must be astronomic. Um, and I, uh, I, I wonder what your thoughts are, because again, you know, like, like yourself, working with many different kind of global clients, we've seen that businesses, especially large businesses, are looking to the smaller guys and girls uh, in order to look at, say, innovation and to develop 
diversity or you know sustainability and again i think that the lines between csr dni and b all becoming ever more blurred as we start to, to kind of drive and develop forward you know with business but how are they kind of impacting the, the supply chains, really? Because surely those smaller, smaller businesses that may be, you know, whether it be minority owned or, or whether it be, um, you know, businesses that have specific facets of, you know, inclusive, innovative skills, then ultimately able to actually develop and, and support larger organizations with meeting their objectives. I probably didn't describe that very well. You will do it more articulately than me, Kevin. I, know, I, know, I understand, yeah. No, the, I mean, you're right as well. The big companies of, uh, and it, I think this happens as businesses scale. They lose, a, they become clunkier, they become bigger. There's more red tape. It's just the way it works. And so there's been an appetite for a while for big corporates to either have their own kind of innovation function and bring in, and even invest in some smaller businesses, more agile businesses. We don't do that. That's not part of our offering. We're trying to genuinely help solve a client problem, help a smaller company have a leg up and try and solve a, a problem. It's everybody wins, as I said. But what we're what we're really seeing now, which I think is amazing, I might name a couple of the fantastic companies. There are businesses now, smaller businesses that are springing up with exactly that thinking in mind. But I'll give an example. There's a company called Good Loop, which is a wonderful lady called Amy Williams has spun up. She's come out of the advertising industry. The kind of premise being advertising isn't life or death. It isn't, but it's quite important to brands to move their products. So it's it is what it is. So she decided that she wanted to do advertising for good. This is digital advertising. Um, really impressed with what they do. So the way it manifests itself is if somebody sees an ad on a web page, for example, the brand will pay you in return for your 15 seconds of attention and there'll be two or three good causes on the right-hand side of the ad. You select as a, as a viewer which of those ads you want the brand to pay and in return for that, that you'll watch their ad. So that kind of thinking is turning what can be quite an annoying thing, advertising popping up as you're trying to browse a web page, into a, a really good thing. And I think last week they just announced they've made a million pound of good cause donations off the back of this. So they haven't, the brand's advertising have. So that's a milestone for them. So they're a startup. We haven't figured out a way to work with them yet, but that doesn't become a barrier. We, if we see a company doing something cool, but it's not completely relevant to our business, we will still advocate. We will still be complimentary. We'll still promote them because it might be somewhere else in our client's business in a piece of work that we don't do that there's a fit. And that's still good. Um, so those kind of things you're seeing more and more. Um, I'll give you one more example. We did a series for Lloyd's Banking Group, which was fantastic, which was called the Inspiring Speakers Series. And it was, we brought in speakers to talk about mental health, uh, a new immersive technology, loving your job and getting more fulfillment from work. So credit to them, they had a program, they just needed some content. And we brought in four or five, five speakers actually, most of whom donated their fee to a good cause and didn't ask for any money. And one of them was a lady, uh, Scarlett Montanero, who's, who works for an advertising agency, but then spun up a startup a charity in her own spare time. And this was aimed at the homeless. And it was called Kraken Cider, the, the name coming from uh, the premise that if I give you money, you might spend it on Kraken Cider. So rather than do that, we will raise funds to give you hats, coats, no, warm weather clothing that will be distributed by the Salvation Army or Crisis. So you've got these wonderful people popping up and those are just examples in London, um, who are people who are making change for good out of their current skill sets and using technology and smart, different thinking to deliver change. So we love that. And people like Tony's Chocoloni, who some of your, your audience will know, who are uh, using chocolate as a vehicle to improve and reduce you know, the, the chocolate industry and slave labor and child labor in, in Africa. Those kind of, we're attracted to those kind of companies 
even if there's not an obvious fit with our clients, we don't sell chocolate. But actually, we have actually found a promotion and we 120,000 bars of chocolate went into one of our clients. So strange things can happen when you think like this and you make connections. So there's a big, big change in, in certainly in our industry for businesses for good, which is really good to see. Excellent. And talk to me a little bit about the uh, the black mentorship, because I noticed of late that you'd become a mentor to black business or MBB, which I think is you know another exceptional um, initiative to, to really uh, fast forward, trying to, to, to bridge the gap between the inequalities within not only for black people, black people in the workplace and wider society, but also for other ethnic minorities. Yeah, that was that was that came out of the George Floyd. Uh, that's a personal thing that I'm doing, um, and it came out of the whole George Floyd thing, which was you know truly horrific. And it was like, well, what can what can I do? Because it might be a personal thing now. It may be that we, you know we we'll do something a bit bigger, as I understand more about this in the business, you know. But why don't I just put my hand up from a colleague who said I'm I'm doing this. They're looking for a thousand people to mentor. A, a young black business uh, in the UK. It's a UK only initiative at the moment. And I thought, well, there's something I can actually do rather than sit there and say, this is terrible. You know, we all think that, but what can I do? So the process is that you'll be matched with a business. If you don't specify, it can be any kind of business in any kind of, with any kind of service or product. And you commit to mentoring the, the founder or the founders with advice. I mean, mentoring is a two way thing as well. So I'm aiming to help and I'm hoping I'll learn because, you know, I'm not black. So how can I truly understand the challenges? Um, and so this is a good way of, of having more insight and actually trying to help. And we have a, you know, I personally have a very big network. If there's anything I can do to help a, a business, um, then I will. Um, it's tough out there. I mean, it's always been tough. It's tough at the moment. Generally, if you're a, a black business, you've got those extra that barriers to overcome as well. And so, yeah, it's not, I've not started properly on it yet. Lila. I've been matched with a business. We've got to have the first mentoring session. So maybe next time we talk, I can tell you what the experience was like, but I can only see positive coming from it. But the um, point is, is you've done something, Kevin. And what I really love about when we, we have our various chats is the fact that you are so incredibly down to earth, straight down the line, humble in your approach, and will put your hands up and say, hey, you know, I, uh, I want to learn more about this. And I think, you know, I, I know we touch on Do George Floyd here, which is obviously absolutely terrible. And obviously, you know, many of the events that have happened close to home as well. But I think there has been a huge amount of kind of worry for, for you know, business leaders um, thinking about, oh, what can I do? Or, or I don't know enough about this. Therefore, um, you know, because I don't, maybe I won't say anything. And, you know, I think it's not about being all seeing all doing all knowing all the time because none of us can be you know at the end of the day it's a learning journey and I think absolutely every one of us can be an ally and to your point on the fact that look unless we are black that we haven't and can't have that true lived experience but look it's the willingness to learn and having the heart in the right place which really matters and no, sorry, I just, um, not to go on too much here about this, but the, you know, you see a lot of businesses kind of saying, hey, you know, we, uh, we, we'd love to get involved in kind of DNI or sustainability or whatever it might be, but just don't know whether we're good enough yet to be kind of talking about it. And it's, you know, and I always try and reassure them as best as I can because I know the heart is in the right place, but 
You know, I also think it's so important that we have business leaders like yourself who are doing a fantastic job, absolutely fantastic job, but also very honest and very humble and willing to say, look, I don't know enough about this and I want to learn because everyone's at a different phase of the journey and it's not about being the best or, or kind of um, only talking out when we've got a whole load of stuff to, to show to people. It's about um, the willingness to, to want to learn. Yeah, and I mean, that's, you know, I think as you get older, it's funny, I look at the dynamics of your life, you kind of well, can't wait to get out of school or university because you can't wait to get away from that. And then you work and realise the world of work is tough. And then you get to a certain point with me, it was when my eldest one was looking at universities and I found myself going into these places and I, I've got a thirst for learning here. I really, I'd like to sit in some of these lectures and this was law, you know, but I even found that interesting. So I think as, as I got older and I think a lot of people say this, you get a thirst to learn more and you realise, you know, there's so much runway in your life and there's so much you don't know. And that's what makes getting out of bed every day interesting, isn't it? Something new to learn, something where you can make an impact. And that's really what this is about. It's about trying to help. As I said at the beginning, I sit on the global board. So if I can learn, I can then help others learn and we can push that in. But this, this was a personal initiative. We'll see where that goes. But uh, we'll also look at what we can do from a business perspective as well, because, you know, none of us had a complete finished article and you don't ever get to be that anyway, do you? So it's about doing the best you can and not just sitting there wringing your hands saying this is awful. You know, that's you need to do something. You need to either learn or help or find out where you can make some sort of impact in however small a way. Um, then you've you've made a positive step. So really believe that. And um, uh, I I want to help these guys as much as I can, particularly this particular uh, the mentor black business because it feels like such a good thing to do. Um, so uh, yeah, it's it, it's about learning every day. Brilliant. We have to let us know how you how you get on, and maybe at some point we we do a future podcast uh, with the business that you've been working closely with. And yeah, that would be great. Yeah, and I mean on 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 the note of kind of where you say, and I love how how humble you are when you say, well, you know, for me it's also you know it's very much about learning from them and vice versa. Mentoring or reverse mentoring, as we often call it, is um, you know is massively a two way street. Some of the best case studies I have seen have been you know literally graduates young bright hungry graduates or, or youth coming into an organization with all these ideas being paired up with uh, you know top chairman c-suite individuals within the organization completely different generations but so much to learn and be inspired by from each other and I think it also helps massively kind of break down any of those those barriers you know where once maybe 10 20 more so years ago where there were these kind of these white ivory towers of sitting in the corner or the virtual corner desk as it would be now there seems to be a lot more freedom of speech and openness and willingness to be able to uh, you know pick up a phone speak to seniors and um you know feels more of a, a, a level playing field if that makes sense so I try to be as accessible as I can within our business because we're, you know, 44 countries, different time zones, different cultures, even languages. And so to be accessible is hard. You make more work for yourself. But I almost describe myself as a, a digital signpost sometimes where if someone in the business who's new particularly doesn't know where to go to get some information or who they should be talking about a particular topic, then probably having been here for a long time, I'll probably know where to send them. And so that's quite 
quite good to get to know people, but also you get to see people at different levels and different, especially when you're new in a company as well, you need someone to kind of reassure you and help you. It's daunting, isn't it? So I do work at that. And, and that's also got a two way street to it in that I know a lot of people who I consider friends in lots of diverse countries, which is a privilege, isn't it? You know, I don't have to go into one office every day in one country and deal with the same people. I get to talk to people in Argentina and South Africa and Japan, you know, it's, that's a privilege. So, uh, I, I try that's one of the things about leadership I think is to try and be accessible it's it's hard as you get to be a bigger business but work hard at it absolutely and where do you see the future heading when it comes to uh, developing diversity and inclusion and belonging of course uh, within HH because you seem to be a, a big driving force behind everything that is people purpose passion you name it all the p's really well, I think I'm going to follow the same process we did with the kind of environmental sustainability. So we, we, we did, we had pockets of great stuff going on, but I think we need to bring them into the program. So I think I see we're, we're in the middle of a, a, an acquisition at the moment, which is public knowledge. And if that goes through, that business has some interesting initiatives that we may bring into the wider business around um, you know, eclectic groups uh, around different diverse uh, topics and different diverse groups. And that seems to have spun out of North America, which seems to be better at that than, it, than the UK and Europe seem to be. That's just my observation. So I think there's some things we'll adopt there, but I, I want to put some structure around it and bring some diverse groups together. Um, and, and I haven't really figured out how to do that yet, being honest with you. So I need to learn first, see what best practice looks like. We won't spend too long thinking about it. I think you, dump, you jump in then. There's nothing wrong with making the odd misstep. It's better to get going. Our industry, particularly in North America, has been focused more on the supply chain. So there are, in marketing procurement, there are diverse spend programs which are quite mature. These are sort of seven, eight, ten years in existence where big responsible brands, the one that, that brought us into this years ago was Johnson & Johnson, will mandate that of their $10 million of spend, for example, $5 million has to go to what they determine is a diverse company. So that could be, you know, uh, female-owned or... Uh, you know, minority or veteran, and there's a definition. And we've been doing that for a number of years with clients, but only in North America. It doesn't seem to have penetrated Europe. It doesn't seem to have got to Asia, which is really peculiar. So I wonder if that's going to happen in supply chain, but also within the business. Diversity is an absolute strength, um, and it's a enriching experience. And so we need to harness that for the, for the benefit of our people. We need to be good listeners. We need to then harness that opportunity that positivity the, the richness of that for the benefit of our company and our clients because their customers are diverse and our supply chain because they're diverse so it's kind of trying to square the whole thing together and so we're kind of at the beginning of that journey if i'm honest and uh, but we're, we're fast learners and as you said earlier our heart is in the right place and that's what it's all about. That is absolutely what it is all about. It's not being, it's not being perfect. Because I think the second we, we actually think, hey, we're perfect. The work of diversity, inclusion, belongs, sustainability, et cetera, is done. That's when there would be a problem. And I love your eagerness and your, your, your impatience. Uh, <laughs> it's probably the, the right word because I feel that myself, that impatience to get things done and to just 
get started. Uh, but interesting, you talk about um, the North American piece. And I think, you know, to a degree, you know, when we talk diversity, inclusion and belonging, I think people often have perceptions of it being, you know, one or a certain thing. And it's, you know, maybe just gender or it's just LGBTQ plus or it's cultural or, or whatever. You know, actually, it's all encompassing these visible and invisible diversities. And, you know, more and more so, especially with global organizations, we're seeing there's different diversities in different pockets of places. And, you know, actually, it's, uh, you know, often, as you say, how can you use some of the innovation in, in whether it be North America, and I love North America, of course, Idaho, my husband is from, utilize those, uh, those pockets of innovation and, and, and look to emulate uh, across other areas uh, within, within the organization or share through the peer-to-peer learning side. Um, not to say that it will be a direct copy-paste situation, because obviously everything is different, but it's, you know, it's, it's utilizing the smorgasbord of knowledge to, uh, to transfer things that would be helpful and useful in, in other places. I, I actually think one of the things I was considering was, wouldn't it be quite cool to set up those diverse supply programs in the regions where they don't exist? You know, be the first to get it going. Um, yes. su- suggest it to a brand and say, well, you know, why are you doing this here, but you're not doing it there? Or just to bring it up as a new concept and say that we will commit a percentage of this contract will go to these and we will categorize the types of partners and suppliers. What, why wouldn't you want to do that? Well, you know, that, there's only good going to come from that. So it's just bizarre that it's just in North America. It seems to be very prevalent. There's a thing called the billion dollar round table that you may have heard of, which is businesses who commit um, to that much going to diverse uh, businesses. But why, why not in Europe? Why not in the UK? Why not in Germany? I don't, I don't understand why. So we'll, we'll figure that out. Um, and then the other thing I thought was also interesting, which I think shows that things are going this way, certainly in procurement, when big brands have a big contract, they tend to put it through a SAP Ariba procurement platform and bid it out to businesses that could pitch for it. And we're starting to see there's a, there's a company called GiveWith, and I love this idea, where they will say to the brand, say it's a $10 million contract, they will say, a carve out a piece of that 10 million, say 5%, something like that, and that has to be going to a good cause or a, a, a charitable cause or a business for good. So you're actually making your suppliers bid for the work, but part of the commitment of winning the business is you will work on, on this particular project and will generate savings or funds to actually channel that money into that project. So I think procurement, which has had a, an interesting reputation over the years, is really coming of age now. They're looking at things like this, and procurement's also actually starting to have sustainability and diversity coming into their wheelhouse as well, which is really pleasing to say, see because these are the people who are making the decisions on the big contracts and where business goes. Um, I love this. I could talk about this all day. I definitely think that, and hopefully this podcast will serve as a, a platform to float the idea of bringing more of this to, uh, to Europe. And, um, you know, I must ask, and excuse me for, for being so lame in my terminology, but for those of us, because I'm keen for everyone to hear about this, for those of us who don't know that much about the complexities of procurement, basically this is large organizations making large purchases and in the scenario that we're talking about here is if they're going to be spending this money on large contracts anyway, why would they not basically substitute those as managed, say, by yourself and HH for businesses that are A, doing good, B, sustainable, um, you know, say C, diverse, inclusive? Yeah, so historically, it's been about working with a business like us because we have the global scale, we have a lot of spend under management, so we have leverage, and we're, and then you de-risk your contract. So you, as a big brand, you say, I'm just dealing with one partner, so simplification, they can onboard you onto all of their systems and say, you manage all the complexity of the supply chain, the geographical spread, 
complicated work and projects. It, it's, a, it's an outs classic outsourcing model. Where, and that was really based around simplicity and cost saving back in the day. Now, brands are much more conscious around, I need to be placing these big contracts. It's a big responsibility with responsible businesses. And if you think about us, we're a conduit to a big pool of suppliers globally. So if you get that conduit company right, i.e. place it with us and companies like us, you can then push down the, the programs and the strategy you want into a much bigger pool. So you affect one to impact many. So do that for good. Do that and say not only from materials and, and substrates and things like that, but you do that with the type of companies the work's placed with. You could positively impact a lot of businesses as a big brand rather than just coming at it from a mindset of I need to save 20%. You can say oh, I'll save 20%, but I also want to impact positively based on these criteria. And that is an awful lot of power in procurement's hands. And, and pleasingly, Companies such as Bayer, who are absolute leaders in this, are really putting this at the front and centre of their sustainable strategies and procurement are owning it. It's not marginalised with a sustainability director. It's not over here with marketing. It's with procurement, the people with the power to place the business. So one shout out I would give is to um, Thomas Uderson, who's CPO of Bayer. He's formed, along with the CPO of Henkel, the Sustainable Procurement Pledge. And that is a group of procurement people at all levels, from the very top table down to people who just work in procurement, across sector, it doesn't have to be marketing, who are, have come together as a collective and are sharing best practice. They meet every two months on Zoom, and it's around putting purpose at the centre of what you do from a procurement and buying perspective. And that's hugely pleasing to see because these guys award the contracts. So they have the power to affect change. And that's a personal project of Thomas's that's now growing arms and legs. There's two or 3,000 people have uh, signed up to that. Um, so that, that, those kind of things are really pleasing for us, particularly because we interface with marketing and procurement. Procurement for purpose, hey? Excellent. Yep. Excellent. And before we run out of time for today, I must, uh, must just move us forward into the lightning round, which I know that you've listened to a couple of podcasts before, so you know what the score is. I'm going to give you about 30 seconds. Or thereabouts, okay. because it's you, Kevin. 30 seconds to answer the next couple of questions before we summarize some of the key learning points for today. Um, and first of all, I'm going to have to ask the biggest one first. Um, you know, what is, if there is one, your secret to success? I think it's what we touched on earlier about not stopping learning. Be a, be a voracious reader, learner, listener. You know, you, there's so much to learn. So I think keeping that curiosity around whatever topic and whatever industry you're in, and but not just that, all the, the stuff around that, how people tick, why people tick, why did that person react differently? I think that's fascinating. I'm a people person. So learning and, and just trying to be as authentic and helpful as you can to people because what goes around comes around and good things happen when you do good yourself. It just does. So, you know, that, that would be the key for me. And talking of authenticity, what is authentic leadership to you? Well, it might be controversial, this, but I think it's about being the same, same you wherever you are. So I've, I've noticed in business particularly, not just business, but you notice in business, people have a different persona when they go through that office door or even come on that Zoom. And I personally don't subscribe to that. I think clearly you have to be professional uh, when you're doing what you do for a living. But that doesn't mean that the rest of your personality has to disappear. It doesn't mean you can't smile. It doesn't mean you can't be authentic. It doesn't mean you can't help someone or, or tell a joke or just have a little bit of fun. So it's about being the same you, whether you're inside of work or outside of work, which I know some people may not subscribe to, but that's what I try and do. 
Well, I think it's less so subscribing to, but I think it's perhaps that it can be difficult to truly be you. And that's being down to having an environment in which you feel comfortable in, ultimately. But I, um, no, I absolutely agree with that. And I think, you know, God, if, if we were all comfortable enough to truly be ourselves within the workplace, how much more of a productive place would work actually yeah. be? So that be, you know, I'd like to think a very big business benefit to that as well. Yeah, I agree with you, hundred percent. Yeah, and if you're in a big and a, a big corporate, and you know, in a bit top of a tower block somewhere in a, a big city, it's harder. Um, you know, luckily I don't work for a business like that, and I'm seeing more businesses being more fluid and more more open, and, and that's a positive thing. So uh, it's happening. It needs to happen quicker, doesn't it? It does. It does. Impatient for change. Impatient for change. Yes. yes. <laughs> and how about who's inspired you the most throughout your career? and or indeed yeah. your life? Lots of people. I mean, the obvious ones are, you know, my mum mom and dad. Um, you know, interesting. I think you're kind of a, I look back on it and go, my mum my was an Irish immigrant, you know, very loving into the health service, as many Irish people did back in the 60s, and caring, gentle, you know, humorous, very popular. And my dad was more, he was an orphan, but from London, so tough upbringing, left school at 15. You put those two together, you get, what I think I am now, which is quite caring, but I have a tough inner side as well. I'm, I've got a tough side to me, but I also, I don't think that comes out on the exterior a lot. So I think I've got that combination of the Irish sort of humour and generosity and gentleness with a bit of tough sort of London. So those two, obviously, uh, my family, my wife's a, an absolute rock and uh, I've got four children who are uh, nearly all grown up now actually inspire me. But yeah, th those kind of people, um, key really. But also our, our CEO of HH, Robert McMillan, is a, is a great guy. He's an entrepreneur in the true sense of the world. Never beaten, never satisfied. As soon as we hit a milestone, we're on to the next one. Uh, and also creative thinker. I sometimes find myself going, well, why didn't I think of, think of it like that? You know, so we'll turn defeat into, into a victory. And, and you think, well, how do you learn to do that? You know, when others go, okay, well, that's unfortunate. He will, he won't take that. He will say, no, this is another way. How about we think about it like this? So to have that kind of thinking, he's inspired me to try and try and be like that. I don't know if I succeeded, but uh, I'll try and I'm trying. I'm sure they're very proud. What a great personal story to share. And it proves as well that I know I'm going to mention a stereotype here, but I, I, I what I used to do, you know, a fair bit of work with um, procurement professionals, they're always quite, uh, the stereotype was they're real tough cookies. And I think you have to be, you know, kind of bashing your fists on tables and whatnot um, and negotiating. But procurement really can have a heart and can have a human side and so proofs in the pudding hey kevin <laughs> mm, yeah yeah and finally I, I wonder you know whilst we are kind of reflecting on the past here which i think is it's just really lovely i think it's always nice to have those reflective moments but if you could give any advice to your younger self in your early years is there anything that you might say yeah, it's, I'm still working at this, but don't worry too much about what people think of you. I mean, we're just so worried about, you know, upsetting or not looking right or not saying the right thing or, and, and it paralyzes you, you know, you, especially when you're younger. And I think it's worse now because of everything's in the open, isn't it? We, we didn't have that when I was younger. Um, so it's just to, you know, make your decisions, lead your life, try and do the right thing. And don't worry about if it upsets a few people, you're always going to upset somebody somewhere along the line don't get paralyzed by it. So I would go back, give myself a stiff talking to and say, don't worry about it and get on with doing stuff rather than worrying about what, what people think.
still struggle with that now again. again now you think oh i don't know if i want to do this but they i think they call it imposter syndrome sometimes don't they am i worthy of being at this table with with this particular group of people and then you always come out the other side going actually they're just people and they're no smarter than me they've just got a category expertise but are they better people no you know we're all so you have to kind of work at this I'd love to be one of those people who just doesn't care. But then I guess you, there's a fine line between that and recklessness. You don't want to be that. What lovely, inspiring words to finish the podcast, Kevin. I just, I love that. I love how humble you are. I think uh, more leaders can, can be like this and, um, and to be willingness to, I think it's actually one of the most courageous things for leaders to show vulnerability. And I think it is one of the things that makes actually the biggest difference not only to uh, you know others in, in employees and, and partners and businesses that we work with but you know just to to really feel that we you know we we we, we also you know we're just people and actually even though we might look at, at seniors and think they know far much more than we do, well, no, actually, you can be in the senior, most senior position ever on the board, on the C-suite, having been in it for 20, 30-odd years, uh, like yourself, and still actually have got the odd little bit of imposter syndrome. And so I think that actually encourages a, a lot of people um, who perhaps are climbing those corporate ladders thinking, wow, everyone must have you know, almost been born like this and know all of this from day dot because it's no, not true. No, you have to learn every day, don't you? Try and learn something every day. Associate with smart people. Take what you can from each of them. Each bit of advice you think, take a nugget from everybody you come across. They've all, everybody's got something, haven't they, that's of value. So, yeah, and then turn it into the best you can. Kevin, thank you so much for joining me today. You've been an absolute superstar. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been, uh, it's been good fun talking. It has been real fun and I know that we will do it again. As always, I'll keep my, uh, I'll keep my summary short because I think there's just so many great things we covered in particular at the end. But, but we will put all of the key learning points from this episode into the show notes for the end of today's show. So don't worry if you did miss anything at all from the podcast with Kevin today. Very quickly, I would say the, th the key pieces that stood out for me were absolutely being human, doing your best for yourself. Life is an ever long learning journey and each of us, however small or however big, which is a lot in Kevin's case, is impacting many different things. We can all make a significant difference. and We can all change the world of business and wider society for the better. You know, particularly loved uh, the innovation pieces around procurement. So if you are a large organization or indeed a small organization, Organization. I would encourage you to get in touch with Kevin because I think he is, um, you know, is a bit of a fountain of, of knowledge, all seeing, all knowing, and um, will always come up with an innovative idea for something. But some great actionable points I think people can take away because whether you are small, actually, um, opportunities to work with larger businesses with your innovative differences and to be kind of hungry, driven, you know, capable is not out of the realms of reach to be able to work with large organizations, especially when you are passionate about doing things for good. Uh, but likewise, as a large organization, so many great things that you can do to really impact the supply chain, to really look at organizations that ultimately will help you achieve your wider objectives at the same time and also do business for good. So thank you again very much, Kevin, for, for, for joining us today. You can catch up online, of course, and download the podcast on all of your favorite podcast uh, apps, whether it be Apple or Spotify. You can visit us at www.dialglobal.org forward slash podcast. And as always, we'll look forward to seeing you again next week. My name is Layla McKenzie Dallas. You've been listening to the Diverse and Inclusive Leaders podcast today with Kevin Dunkley from HH Global.